This is KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Tuesday, February 7th of 2023. I'm your host today, Stacey Johnson. Coming up on the program, a farmer-led coalition will host the Food Not Feed Summit in Washington, D.C. today to call on Congress to prioritize fruit and vegetable crops in the 2023 Farm Bill. Well, he'll... We'll hear about efforts in the Boulder Valley School District to increase diversity among the ranks of faculty. And California refuses to agree with other basin states about Colorado River reductions. That story and more on This Week in Water. At the bottom of the hour, we'll have an update from the BBC News headlines. Then it's How on Earth. In today's How on Earth show, we'll hear about mountain lions in northern Colorado. And at 9 a.m., another archival recording of British philosopher Alan Watts. Then at 9.30, James Weiss will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. And that's still ahead, but first, it's time for Headlines with KGNU's John Kellen. An administrative law judge says that Starbucks Corporation illegally interfered with union organizing at a Denver Starbucks last year. In a judgment finding issued yesterday, a judge found Starbucks engaged in unfair labor practices, including retaliatory termination, disciplinary action, and threats, according to a union press release. The judge ordered back pay for one wrongfully fired worker and issued a cease-and-desist directive against further unfair labor practices. Yesterday's ruling comes after a hearing last summer in which workers testified about retaliatory and illegal conduct by Starbucks agents and managers. Workers at a Starbucks in Boulder voted last month to join the Starbucks Workers United Union, the first in the city to do so. Colorado Governor Jared Polis is directing state agencies to find short- and long-term solutions to the skyrocketing costs of home heating in Colorado. Polis unveiled his plan to cut public utility costs at a news conference in Denver yesterday. KGNU's Steve Miller has details. At the news conference, Governor Polis told Utility and energy regulators to find ways to offer immediate relief for businesses and residents who have been burdened with enormous utility bills. Colorado Politics reports that Polis wants the Public Utilities Commission to analyze ways to limit bill spikes. The governor noted that at the start of winter this year, gas bills jumped by 75% compared to last year. Colorado's Public Utilities Commission, Chief Economist Aaron O'Neill, has said that two of the top reasons for the soaring energy bills is the cost of natural gas, which increased by 40% compared to last year, and the use of natural gas also rose by 30% because of the significantly cold weather in December. Among the list of ideas Polis is asking the Public Utilities Commission to investigate is to improve access to bill pay assistance programs, also to work with utilities to secure federal funding for programs targeting Colorado homes and businesses. For KGNU, I'm Steve Miller. The governor has joined Colorado Senators Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper, plus U.S. Representative Joe Neguse, to request federal funding for wildfire recovery efforts. KGNU's Alexis Kenyon has the story. 
Colorado officials requested $50 million in federal funding from the U.S. Forest Service and the U.S. Department of Agriculture yesterday. The funding would go toward wildfire recovery efforts following the Cameron and East Troublesome fires. In 2020, nearly 400,000 acres of fire left behind burn scars in the Roosevelt and Arapaho State Forests. When mixed with rainfall, these areas of dry soil and ash pose risks of mudslides and flooding, which can endanger the life and property of Coloradans. The request for federal funding urges the government to expedite permitting so Colorado can meet its post-fire recovery needs. For KGNU, I'm Alexis Kenyon. University of Denver basketball player Coben Porter made his first public court appearance yesterday since being involved in a car accident last month that killed 42-year-old Uber driver Katharina Rothman. Porter, the brother of Denver Nuggets star Michael Porter Jr., is charged with vehicular homicide, vehicular assault, and reckless driving. The Denver Post reports that prosecutors allege the 21-year-old was intoxicated when he ran a red light and hit another vehicle on January 22nd. Police who arrested Porter at the scene said he was slurring his words and smelled of alcohol. He was released from jail after his brother paid a $2,000 bond. Rothman's passenger was seriously injured in the crash. Coleman Porter's next court date is April 11th. A Boulder County police officer was legally justified in firing a single round from his weapon last year and will not face criminal charges. That's the ruling from the Boulder County District Attorney announced yesterday. D.A. Michael Doherty said Officer Brian Padigo was warranted in discharging his weapon during a hostage situation last November 28th. The Daily Camera reports Padigo was one of several officers responding to a call that suspect John Lee Fleming was holding two people hostage in the bedroom of a house at North Broadway and Iris Avenue. Callers told dispatchers that Fleming had a stick and a knife. Officers tried to get Fleming to come out of the front of the house, Instead, he went into the bedroom where the hostages were. Officer Padigo entered the house and confronted Fleming, then fired one round when Fleming appeared to take a gun from his pocket. No one was hit by the gunfire, and Fleming was arrested at the scene. Nonprofit organizations in Boulder, Longmont, and Broomfield are among those throughout the region to get a share of $63 million in grants from the Daniels Fund. The fund awarded grants and scholarships to nonprofits and students in Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, and Wyoming last year. About half of that went to Colorado nonprofits, according to the Daily Camera, including Bridge House, Feet Forward, Focus Reentry, A Precious Child, and Longmont Meals on Wheels. Daniels Fund grants support eight funding areas, including disabilities, drug and alcohol addiction, amateur sports, and youth development. The city of Louisville is actively searching for a new police chief. They've had an interim chief since Dave Hayes left to become police chief in Estes Park last November. The deadline to apply in Louisville is March 10th. Candidates should have at least 10 years of law enforcement experience and can apply through KRW Associates. Today's weather forecast, sunny skies throughout the region with highs in Boulder near 45. In Denver, expect highs around 48 degrees and in Fort Collins, look for a high temperature of 44 degrees. Clear skies and mild temperatures along the front range should continue into tomorrow. For KGNU, I'm John Kellen. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Stacy Johnson. 
A farmer-led coalition will host the Food Not Feed Summit in Washington, D.C. today to demonstrate the need to transform the 2023 Farm Bill. A recent survey found nearly 8 in 10 Americans say the production of healthy, sustainable food for people should be prioritized over producing feed for livestock. Eric Galatis has more. Farmers and ranchers from Colorado and across the U.S. are headed to Washington, D.C. this week in hopes of transforming the 2023 Farm Bill. Colorado Springs-based rancher Mike Calicrate says previous Farm Bills have been at odds with the USDA's own dietary recommendations. He says the lion's share of farm subsidies do not help grow food that people eat. They help grow commodities that can be used to create more profitable but less healthy processed foods. And so at the same time as USDA is promoting more fruits and vegetables, and healthier food going into our diets, we support something entirely different. The USDA recommends a diet of 50% fruits and vegetables, but only 4% of farm subsidies support their production. Big agribusiness has long had Congress's ear when it comes to structuring the farm bill, and the Food Not Feed Summit set for Tuesday hopes to amplify concerns of family farmers, workers, health and nutrition experts, and faith-based and animal welfare groups. Calicrate says part of the farm bill should support local and regional food systems that pay farmers a fair price for bringing healthy foods directly to consumers, which can strengthen rural economies. He believes the Farm Bill should benefit the people on the land who take the risk and do the work of producing food. The whole attitude of USDA has been for a long time, get bigger, get out, you know, and all of that is to the benefit of the biggest corporations who have financialized and industrialized our food system to capture the wealth that's created by that farmer and rancher. Nearly 8 in 10 Americans say the production of healthy, sustainable food for people should be prioritized over producing feed for livestock, according to a recent survey. But Calicrate says the USDA continues to direct farm subsidies to commodities used to produce things like high fructose corn syrup and feed for livestock using tax dollars to keep costs artificially low for big ag. Much of it goes to the livestock. But the thing is, whether it goes to livestock or goes into commodity value added further production, we're still feeding the corporation. We're feeding corporations. We're not feeding family farmers and people. This is Eric Galatis reporting for the Colorado News Connection. Valley School District is making efforts to recruit and retain more teachers of color to work with its diversifying student body. Census data shows that while more than three quarters of the overall population of Boulder County identifies as solely white, racial diversity is significantly higher among school-age children. These gaps between students and teachers are oftentimes visible within Boulder Valley schools. BVSD is now actively trying to recruit a more diverse workforce with its second annual job fair for teachers of color. KGNU's Michelle Simpson got the details from Dr. James Hill, BVSD Assistant Superintendent of Human Resources. 
within our school district, we, and part of our strategic theme, we really have a, a focus on bringing more diverse teachers uh, within our school district. We know how important it is and research shows that having a more diverse teachers uh, in front of our students are good for all students, not just our students of color, but for right. all students to be able to provide different uh, perspectives. So by this being a part of our strategic initiative and by us knowing and understanding the research about how important this is for all of our students to see more of a diverse teachers in the classroom, we felt that, you know, the next step was to make sure that as a school district, we're doing everything we can to attract more of those diverse candidates. So we're hosting our second annual Teacher of Color and Earth hiring event. And yes, we are uh, uh, focused on, you know, bringing more diverse educators into our school district, but this event is open for everyone. Okay. So by no means are we saying that you have to uh, uh, be a, a person of color to attend. We're simply saying this is a huge focus of us. This is something that, you know, we're outlining in here and, and that's the reason we're, we're presenting it in that way. And I, I start off by saying that because there were some questions. We're also looking at increasing the numbers. And last year, last year, we were throwing a curveball because if you take yourself back to last February, there was something called the Omicron variant that was going around. So our planned in-person event turned into a virtual event. I don't get me wrong. We still had a tremendous turnout, but we always feel that if you're able to do something in person, get in front of people, that it's going to make a bigger difference. So we don't want to cut out the virtual piece of it because we want to make sure that we're accessible to all diverse candidates in different states. So we'll still have that portion of it. So if you're looking to attend and you're looking for a job and you want to work for a great school district, but you just can't make it out, we'll have that virtual option. But, you know, this event will be held uh, in person this year, which I'm excited about. Tell me, why would a teacher of color, let's be more specific, why would a Black teacher want to come to BBSD? Well, one, as I, I mentioned earlier, you know, Boulder Valley School District is a great place to work, okay? One, we pay well, you know, that always helps. Two, there's really a passion for this school district to bring in more diverse candidates. We understand that there are some great teachers out there that want to work in our school district, but are not given, getting those opportunities. Or there's so many different barriers up there. Or a lot of times when you look at a, a, a hiring process, it's not what you know, it's who you know. We want to, A, because it's all about the kids, understanding that, look, there are some great teachers out there that may come from a different background that you're used to. They may not be new to students. So we want to expose our students to that. And quite frankly, we know that this is a great school district. This is a great community. The part we're missing is that the diversity. We don't have that diversity that I think that many of us would like to see. So by offering a tremendous opportunity, by really making this a priority to bring in and have these diverse candidates exposed to these positions, we are and initially killing two birds and one stone. Now there's that other piece of retaining. And again, what are we doing to not only attract, but retain, but I guess that's another conversation. No, no, it could be part of it. 
because I was thinking that at CU, for example, we've had some modicum of success in recruiting staff of color, administrators, faculty, Black, more specifically, keeping them as another thing altogether. But I do recognize that the role of recruiting, welcoming, retaining staff, teachers of color, whether it's BVSD or another school district, is not simply the role of someone like yourself, that it's really going to be dependent on other teachers. It's going to be dependent on staff, administrators, principals, and more to make that happen and to make individuals not only feel like, well, gee, BVSD may be a great place to work because the salaries are competitive or even better than some of the competition. But that whole idea, as I said, of retention seems to be somewhat challenging. One piece you know, um, is that uh, the community as well. You know, oftentimes, you know, we may look at a work piece where these employees are coming into the different respective buildings, but they're also going out into communities where they shop, you know, where they're, they're uh, interacting. So I think that the at least retaining piece of it, you know, also falls on our community. How are we treating these people who are simply following their passion as well? How are we treating them when they leave our buildings? So if someone is interested in participating in the February 11th Teacher of Color hiring event being hosted by BBSD, where can we direct them? If you go to our website, okay, bbsd.org, and go to careers, and once you click on careers, you'll see this nice, pretty flyer pop up, and then it'll say Teacher of Color Diverse Educators Hiring Event. And then within that flyer, on the bottom right side, it says register here. So they can click on that and register for this event and go on there. And then hopefully we will see them on the 11th, February 11th, uh, Saturday. And um, have potentially uh, work for, a, again, a great school district. Okay. They can interact okay. with other great educators, including myself. Dr. Hill, before I let you go, is there anything else that you wanted to add? Just thank you. You've always been a huge supporter of the work we're doing in Boulder Valley School District around, you know, diversity, inclusion. And that's big because, you know, a lot of times people shy away from discussing that. In order for us to continue to bring highly qualified, diverse candidates into our school district, then we're going to have to continue to outline a lot of the issues that are involved with coming into a predominantly white city and a predominantly white school district and being successful. So, you know, thank you. And thank you for uh, your continued support. And uh, for everybody out there that's listening, hopefully we'll see you on uh, Saturday, February 11th. That was Dr. James Hill, Assistant Superintendent of Human Resources at the Boulder Valley School District, speaking with KGNU's Michelle Simpson. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Stacy Johnson. Up next is This Week in Water with Jamie Sudler and Franny Helperin. The Last Straw for Plastics. That story and more on H2O Radio's Weekly News Report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Helperin, and it's This Week in Water. The seven states that make up the Colorado River Basin failed to reach an agreement last week on how to reduce their water consumption so the system avoids major disaster. 
The federal government had told the states that by the end of January, they needed to agree how to cut about 30% of the river's overall allocation or the Bureau of Reclamation would step in. The Fed's goal is to prevent the reservoirs made by the Glen Canyon and Hoover dams from falling to extremely low levels at which generating electricity and releasing water downstream would be threatened. Six of the seven basin states, Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, and Nevada, did submit a proposal to which California didn't agree. California rejected the other state's proposal because it would require water users, particularly farmers in the Imperial Valley, where much alfalfa, fruits, and vegetables are grown, to reduce their consumption below what they are entitled to by law. The state released its own plan containing much lower cuts than offered by its neighbors. CNN reports that California had proposed studying what the system would look like if Phoenix, Las Vegas, and other cities were cut off from Colorado River water. Rhett Larson at Arizona State University told the Los Angeles Times that California may be able to win the legal battle given its senior water rights, but the state's position may not be right morally. The drought in the West has led to some extreme schemes to pipe water from, say, the Mississippi River to Colorado or from the Pacific Ocean to Utah. Such ideas have led to some fears in the Great Lakes region that their water could be diverted hundreds of miles away. However, as Michigan Public Radio reports, there is protection against such schemes through the Great Lakes Compact. The 2008 agreement covering Lakes Michigan, Erie, Superior, Huron, and Ontario prohibits diversions unless there's a unanimous vote by all seven bordering states, but they can only approve diversions that are in the Great Lakes Basin, nothing like a pipeline to the west. However, massive diversions have been studied. About 10 years ago, the Bureau of Reclamation looked at taking water from the Mississippi or Missouri rivers and exporting it to Colorado and New Mexico. The idea was dismissed as politically and technically infeasible. Additionally, big pipelines are expensive and release greenhouse gases from pumping operations, which would worsen the problem of aridification in the West. In the new HBO dystopian drama The Last of Us, global warming has caused fungi to mutate and turn humans into zombies. It is, of course, a work of fiction, but according to a new study, the series contains a warning about climate change. Most fungi don't pose a threat to human health because our body temperature is too high. But as researchers from Duke University found, some types of fungus could evolve to withstand heat and expand their range. In the lab, the team grew the yeast Cryptococcus in conditions from 86 to 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit using DNA sequencing to track jumping genes, genes that change their location on the genome, they found that the rate of movement increased with warmer temperatures, suggesting the fungi were mutating to acquire heat resistance and perhaps greater disease-causing potential. It's not time to panic about zombies, the team said. We often breathe in fungal spores, and for most of us, it's not life-threatening. But the cryptococcus fungus the team studied can cause severe illness in people with weakened immune systems, so as the planet heats up, more of us could become an ideal host. And finally, in our polarized world, the debate over straws sucks. Environmentalists decry how the single-use plastic pollutes waterways and harms marine life, while others complain 
paper alternatives collapse mid-milkshake. It seems there's no way to sip sustainably and make both camps happy. Until now, perhaps. Researchers in Korea have developed a paper straw that not only maintains its shape but is also fully biodegradable, unlike existing paper straws or other alternatives made from corn or rice. The researchers point out that to keep existing paper straws from becoming soggy, they're coated with polyethylene, the same material used to make plastic bags and adhesives that doesn't fully decompose and instead breaks down into dangerous microplastics. Their new straw is made from a bioplastic which they coated with a plant cellulose so it decomposes well even in seawater where paper or plastic typically break down slowly because of the ocean's low temperature and high salinity. The team found that their paper straws held up in both cold and hot drinks and even stayed stiff when used as a stir stick or in carbonated beverages where bubbles have made other paper straws sag. Many places in the U.S. and E.U. have implemented regulations on single-use plastic straws, but the researchers are optimistic their solution, which will be easy to mass-produce, could be the last straw in that controversy. That's it for this week in water. Support comes from Wright Water Engineers, providing water resources engineering in Colorado and beyond for more than 60 years. Projects, services, and resumes are online at rightwater.com. For today's morning magazine, thanks to John Kellen, Steve Miller, Alyssa Palazzo, Alexis Kenyon, Erica Lattice, Michelle Simpson, Shannon Young, Jamie Sudler, and Franny Halperin for all their contributions to today's program. I've been your host, Stacy Johnson. Stay tuned for How on Earth that's coming up after the news headlines from the BBC. Support comes from the Longmont Community Foundation, working to improve the lives of others by utilizing their grant programs, scholarships, and community partnerships. More information can be found at longmontfoundation.org.